Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and catadids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. That was the opening passage from Shirley Jackson's novel The Haunting of Hill House, written in 1959. It is considered one of the best ghost stories of the 20th century, and highly influential in the depiction of hauntings in literature in modern times, exploring the psychology of people who experience the supernatural. It was recently adapted by Netflix into a TV series, which received widespread acclaim upon its release. The protagonist of the story is Eleanor Vance. The novel opens with her travelling to the titular house to be part of a scientific investigation she has been invited to by Dr Montague. This has given her an opportunity to escape an oppressive relationship with her disabled mother, the demands of which have led to a reclusive lifestyle, which she resents. Eleanor is clearly a deeply troubled character, and her arrival at Hill House instigates a series of unsettling events that defy rational explanation. We're never quite sure who or what is really behind the occurrences that happen at the house. It's a fascinating portrayal of a haunting, and was prescient in its depiction of how such events could be investigated, and how people would go on to theorise about the nature of ghosts and hauntings. My guest for this episode is Kelly McBride. Kelly is a writer and journalist and an expert on Shirley Jackson's work. We talk about the haunting of Hill House and the events in the author's real life that may have inspired some elements of the story and in other of her novels, such as The Lottery and We Have Always Lived in the Castle. These highly imaginative stories all contain troubled characters trapped in an unfriendly setting, which prompts disturbing events which are hard to fully understand. Although works of fiction, it's clear that Shirley Jackson drew inspiration from real life, and this episode is ultimately a discussion of how the ideas and themes in her works can be used to explore the weirdness of the real world today. Enjoy. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Ah, you're very welcome. So to kick off, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got interested in, in Shirley Jackson's uh, work. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So my interest in Shirley Jackson kind of goes back to my academic studies. Um, so my my background is in philosophy, but I studied mostly philosophy of literature and specifically philosophy of speculative fiction. Um, so I was kind of interested in the ways that the speculative speculative genre um, kind of bends or distorts reality and sort of opens up new possibilities of thought. Um, and my interest in Shirley Jackson came primarily from her novel, The Haunting of Hill House, which I kind of use as an example of 
sort of the way in which the genre allows for, you know, different supernatural or paranormal occurrences that might stand in for larger thematic concepts. Um, and I, I really enjoy her writing style. I think she is a really highly influential figure because she, um, she, you know, almost sort of reinvented the haunted house genre um, from kind of its roots in early Gothic literature and kind of pushed it in a new direction. And I think that was definitely made her kind of a figure worth studying. And also um, Mike Flanagan recently revived the, sh the, um, the novel in terms of a Netflix series. So a lot of people have been talking about it recently and I thought it would be a really great point to sort of reinvestigate. Yeah, you're, I, I really enjoyed your article for Sublime Horror. Um, it's yeah, interesting you. you mentioned the the TV show because it seems that it as mostly it seems that that adaptation has been very well received. I, and I know um, listening to podcasts about supernatural and paranormal subjects, uh, uh, it's been generally highly praised for that that show's um, depiction of of a haunting because it seems that the show definitely kind of covers its bases in terms of the idea of what a haunted house is. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're spot on in saying that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Shirley Jackson, she wrote that novel in uh, 1959, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And that was, so I suppose that was about by that time she, she was a successful writer. Do you think, do you think she was kind of at the, at the height of her writing powers as it were when she was writing that book yeah so that's an interesting question because um professionally she was doing incredibly well but personally she was having a lot of difficulty particularly where her health was concerned mm. um at, at the time she finished the novel she was um well she was being treated because um she was uh uh, getting really sick because she had been a lifelong smoker and she was having some lung problems and also she was overweight. And the, um, the doctors at that time prescribed, um, amphetamines for the weight loss and, um, for her anxiety barbiturates. So she was kind of on this treadmill of prescription drugs, uh, uppers and downers to kind of just keep her going. Um, but she, yeah, she wasn't doing super well in her personal life. She had an open marriage with her husband at the time too. And that put a great strain on their relationship because he was dating graduate students and she was, you know, just trying to keep it together as far as um, her own stuff was concerned. So it was, it was a really difficult time for her personally, but I would say professionally that kind of fed her work a little bit because some of the issues I think that she was maybe undergoing personally might have influenced her work, her later work with the gothic genre. So Haunting of Hill House and later uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Right. And um, do you know if there was, uh, in regards to uh, her idea for the story, did, did she have pretty much free reign in terms of how it came out? Or was there, with the publishers, was there any sort of interaction with them in terms of what they might expect? Or is it pretty much entirely Shirley Jackson's own idea on the page that that we get so that's a good question I'm not entirely sure because I know at this stage in terms of the publishing industry too you know you have the case of like authors um you know really 
collaborating with their editors and sometimes the editors gaining an upper hand in like the production process and cutting out significant portions of the book. So I am not really sure I'm equipped to answer that question. Um, but I, I, I would like to think it was mostly her. I mean, she, she definitely knew what she was doing. She was very intentional at that time. And I think following the, the publication of the lottery her most famous short story too, um, she was really thinking, specifically um, ways in which her current environment kind of could be interpreted on kind of a larger or more national scale. So I think, and with, with her connections in the literary world too, um, I think she had pretty much free reign over, over um, Hill House. All right. Okay. One thing um, I noticed when I was doing a bit of research for this episode, I went into a bookshop and, and I tried to, I went to, to find her books and I, mm-hmm. One interesting thing I, that I noticed is that I, I didn't go to the first time around. I didn't go to the the ghost story horror section. I went to the yeah. the, the normal fiction section, yeah. and I didn't find them. And I just thought that they didn't have any Shirley Jackson books at the time. But I went back in, sure. and I was I was just I was in the sort of the, the the ghost story horror section, and that's where they were. And and when I think about her work, although it's it's clearly it's very much um, it's got it's got a lot of your classic sort of haunted house tropes if you will mm-hmm. there's there is something about it which seems like it it's it, it is a it is a haunted house story but it's also not i find it's um and i i guess that's that's part of the um, part of what i like so much about it i think mm-hmm. thinking back about when i when i read the when i read the the novel because it, it's not been that long since i actually read it for the first time mm-hmm. um when you think of her work do you do you think it does it sort of transcend or sort of sit between sort of genre fiction and and what would be classed as the, the, the kind of fiction that perhaps is critiqued more more favorably by by the literary world? Yeah, I mean, I the, I think that's certainly um, yeah a, a pretty um, incisive question because um, there were other books of hers too that were um, marketed as psychological horror but weren't mm. like the bird's nest for example in 1954 um but the yeah so haunting of hell house is interesting too be, is, is an interesting case because i think it was trying to do a couple of things and maybe as far as the intention behind the novel i wouldn't be able to answer that. That's purely up to Jackson. But I think in terms of how it was received, um, you know, there's definitely parts of it that, you know, have implications for kind of the wider fiction audience. But then there's also some stuff that's very specific to the genre. Um, For example, you know, how haunted house stories work and kind of how um, sort of the... um, the staples of the genre, you know, like um, knockings on the walls or um, things going haywire or disembodied voices. That stuff is all pretty, pretty specific to the genre. Um, but in terms of wider fiction, I mean, being able to tap into sort of the psychological phenomenon of the age and particularly um, in the experiences of women as well, um, that kind of took you know, what seemed like a simple haunted house story to another level, because the the ambiguity, I think, in the crux of the novel is sort of figuring out where Eleanor, who's the, the main care- protagonist in Hill House, um, where her mental state kind of 
starts and then where the house kind of picks up what's being left off. Um, so, and it's, it's a really interesting novel in terms of, you know, projection, you know, is, is this, you know, all happening in the mind or something like that, or is it symptomatic of sort of an environment, which could also be the cause of what's, what's going on with Eleanor. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it's both. And I think the two kind of actually complement each other versus, you know, maybe one over the other. And I know within marketing too, it's really hard because you're trying to kind of pinpoint exactly readers want in order to sell the book. But also, you know, it's, it's hard to do with a book that kind of transcends the genre a little bit like that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I remember the start of the book, Eleanor sort of She's escaping a very sort of stultified life, isn't she? Like looking after her mother, mm -hmm. and she, yeah. the early part of the book, she's she's traveling to, to to Hill House. And I, I remember mm -hmm. in that early part of the book, I wasn't sure I, I wasn't sure where it was set because it's it sounds like it sounds like it might be set in Britain, in England, because of. Because I don't know, because mm -hmm. I don't know whether that's because I'm because <laughs> I'm British and I and I imagine kind of big kind of cr big crumbling. Sure piles being excuse the expression <laughs> um, uh, um <laughs> no it's fine uh, being sort of you know english and old but it's but it's not it's, it's in america but it, it does have that kind of quality yeah. pretty early on of of not of yeah. not kind of tying you into a specific place it's quite a it's quite liminal in that regard and 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 and, and you know yeah i i imagine that's probably what shirley jackson was going for in terms of the story it's quite a close story it's not it's yeah you don't get a lot of information about the sort of the world that it's set in and I exactly I, I haven't read a lot I haven't read the lottery actually but I get I, I did a little bit of um of research for that too and I get the sense that that's very much set in a small community too and you, you get a little bit mm -hmm. of information about the outside world but not very much and right it, it seems it seems like that could be a, a method that is used to kind of contain the story but also it seems it it works on another level in terms of that sort of oppressive atmosphere is the sort of environment where things like the lottery and 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 the things that we see happen in the haunting of hill house can occur yeah absolutely um there's actually um Irving Mallon calls this um, kind of a microcosm of containing narcissism when he talks about haunted houses. So sort of these right. very closed spaces where the story is happening, but it's it's almost like a pressure cooker. You know, you're taking all of these psychological and like environmental factors and throwing it into this one environment. And the more you confine it, the more it's got this chance of just exploding and like this, you know, kind of almost supernatural thing occurring because there's there's just so much going into it in this very confined space um and so i think there's definitely something to that and i think that's that's kind of why the haunted house genre has been so successful because it sort of shows you know the more the, the smaller and the smaller you go in terms of scope you know the more it has this chance of having this you know kind of catastrophic effect um so yeah i think this is this is a very, this is a good example of that too. And, but also, you know, I'm, I'm totally there with you. You know, when I first read the book, 
um, I thought, you know, you know, this should, this sounds like it's taking place, you know, in England or somewhere, you know, um, and not America, but, um, it, it does kind of have that quality of like something very old and this kind of space that sort of set, is set apart from, of its own. Yeah. Mm, and it has a, uh, that the opening paragraph of the book is, it's one of my favorites because it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it starts the book off in, in such a great, great sense. With that, that opening line of uh, no live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. It's, yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that should be like a, the corner, a cornerstone of paranormal research. Um, from, from what I know, I, I think that's, that idea is a very much kind of um, where paranormal investigation and 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 debate are going in terms yeah. of in terms of concepts like that and one thing i've been trying to kind of get my head around and is that i think maybe that ghost stories that fictional ghost stories are they might they may be a, a better way of investigating this kind of phenomenon because mm-hmm. um it goes more into the psychology of of people and and not using psychology as a explanation a non-paranormal explanation, but just using it as a means of understanding it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's kind of like the phenomenology of the experience. You know, you're kind of being put in the first person in that um, perspective, you know. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, do you think with Shirley Jackson, uh, like we were talking about before, she uh, she had a pretty a, a tough relationship with her mother growing up and then... Mm-hmm with her husband as well that was a that sounds like a relationship that was was quite trying to, to say the least not not yeah. to yeah yeah absolutely um, um <laughs> i mean I'm, well, I'm i'm i guess i'm wondering is do you think that i don't think shirley jackson needed that i mean she clearly is very talented anyway but do you think that her experiences with people like her mother and 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 her husband and did sort of inform her her writing maybe not directly but in terms of imagining what it must be like to to have that sort of unhappiness in your life right no I definitely think it did um particularly since I mean Haunting of Hill House opens with Eleanor you know her mother's in hospice and she's trying to care for her and her sister's kind of ambivalent about the entire situation and that that whole scene felt very real to me like it felt like this is this is kind of based on personal experience I think because this there's the tension there is definitely very palpable and I don't know if you you'd have to have a pretty good imagination in order to um write something quite like that that would be that feels so realistic um but yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, it, you know, the personal conflict she probably endured and particularly in the town of Bennington too. I, it's, it's a very small community and I know, um, there's, there's definitely, you know, autobiographical details, um, of her, you know, kind of talking about how restrictive it was and how it was kind of unwelcoming for her. And she felt, like, you know, the walls were literally closing in on her because of how of of this kind of communal tension with herself. And that's that's pretty well reflected, too. And we have always lived in the castle in which, you know, the, the house literally crumbles around the two main characters, Constance and Mary Cat. Um, but they're still, you know, stuck in this kind of restrictive 
place and they just continue to live there. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it seems to be a reoccurring theme that's happened throughout her work more so that it, it seems very intentional in that particular way. And it could have some autobiographical basis. Okay. I mean, uh, one thing I am interested in that, that there have been a couple of biographies of Shirley Jackson and mm-hmm. I think one of them, Right. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called, but it was the earlier one. I think that one went more into mm-hmm. her interest in the occult. I think there's and there's a more recent one which has mm-hmm. kind of put that in a different light. Not not kind of arguing against it, but just saying that that perhaps Shirley Jackson's right. interest in the occult wasn't as uh, as intense as perhaps the earlier biography suggests. Do you from sure. your from your own research? Do you think? I mean, I I know that she went to that she went to university and and you know as a young person that's you're you're often exposed to ideas and stuff. And she seems like someone who was generally kind of inquisitive. Yeah, um, totally. Do you, do you think that that she was in terms of her interest in the occult? Do you how far do you think that might have gone? So that's a good question, and I haven't. I've researched more in terms of um, just how she's kind of conceived in literary studies, and not so much as the autobiographical side of her work. I mean, certainly the two bump up against each other, but um, I know she she kind of thought of herself as New England's only practicing witch. And she she kind of had this kind of playful suggestion that, you know, she had these occult interests. But um I, you know, I don't know how how personally she felt like or spiritually tied to the occult, but I mean, those themes are definitely present in her work, you know, this kind of tension between, you know, the science of the era and then also maybe these older, more traditional ways of looking at paranormal phenomenon. So maybe, you know, that also means that she herself, you know, maybe felt a tension between those two things. I don't know. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm definitely excited about that possibility. I mean, that that's, I want to read about, you know, Shirley Jackson as a witch. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that, definitely. <laughs> that, that, that would be totally interesting and, and kind of fun and like sort of, you know, seeing a whole other side of a writer who we kind of typically associate with like, well, you know, who writes maybe more like, psychological studies of like paranormal experiences so i i mean that that would be cool <laughs> yeah. i hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i would love to i would definitely watch a um a biopic of of shirley jackson i think that could be really good um oh, depending man, on the, yeah depending on who who was who was involved in it or well like an hbo yeah. miniseries um, right uh, yeah you know game of thrones is ending soon so we need <laughs> we need to fill the void you know <laughs> yeah yeah but um uh. so um going into your article um uh, one sure. thing I, I i liked is that you you talk about the idea of environments mirroring the interior lives of the principal characters in a story and um, just want to yes. talk about that mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit more detail yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, was there something specific you wanted to talk about? Like, a, it's just instance in the text. Oh, sure. Or... Yeah. Um, well, um, in, in Hill House, most definitely, but but in, in general, in her in her work, I. But yeah, yeah Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's uh, let's start with Hill House. Start with Hill House. Okay. Um, I think the the immediate scene that comes to mind is sort of um, when it's very 
literally written on the wall, you know, that whole come home Eleanor part of the text. And I think that was, uh, they did it very beautifully in the Netflix adaptation too, you know, that whole, um, that whole uh, narrative with the, the Eleanor character in that adaptation too, is sort of like, you don't, yeah. the, um, where, you know, it, it could very clearly be point to some external paranormal phenomenon, but I mean, it's, it seems so personal. Like it's almost as if like the psyche is like splitting itself in like part of it, it like the, um, the it or the unconscious is like reaching out in like this very literal way. And it like, it wants to, you know, make contact with, you know, the conscious mind or the person. Um, and I, mm. I just thought that that point in the novel specifically um, really kind of spoke to that moment of like sort of the the interiority and the exteriority kind of coming to terms with each other. And, and there's this sort of reckoning moment where, you know, you don't know what to make of it, but it's it's nonetheless very there. Um, yeah, I, I would say that w- that was probably like the most specific example in Hill House that I can think of. But I mean, al- also, you know, the other aspects of the haunting too, like um, the wrappings, the sounds, you know, um, the whole climax of the book where Eleanor is trying to flee, but then she winds up, you know, being right back where she started. And um, I don't know if I should reveal spoilers. I mean, the book's been out for like <laughs> 60 <laughs> years, right? Um, yeah. But um, still uh yeah uh, there there are just these moments where it seems like um you know Eleanor almost over identifies with Hill House um and she gets she gets very comfortable there um psychically and I don't know if that's that's what's driving the story or Hill House is maybe almost recruiting her in a way because it, it it sees something within her that kind of mirrors what it's about so, and that's, it's, it's tense. I mean, like, there's no easy answer probably for this, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah, the, I, the idea that a person can haunt themselves, I think is a, is a, is a powerful one and an interesting one too, because, you know, we, mm-hmm. don't, we don't really know much about the mind and, and how it works. And the, um, the, the idea of, the idea of somebody who is kind of psychologically traumatized being susceptible to hauntings is another is another idea i think that perhaps we 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 see for the uh, not for the first time but um prominently in, mm-hmm. in this book and and i suppose it it goes back to other sort of works of gothic fiction like stories like rebecca and yeah and J- and jane eyre both of those um set in sort of slightly isolated mm-hmm. large buildings at times it's it's um it's an idea that goes back that goes back quite a way and I, I suppose Shirley Jackson is sort of just telling her version of that sort of story yeah and turn of the screw too I think um mm. very much so um actually I think the second season of the the Hill House um, Netflix adaptation is going to be based on the turn of the screw and that story and kind of um reinterpreting that too which i thought was really an interesting choice because it it does very much tie this kind of um contemporary american version of the gothic with its kind of roots in older english literature um in the 18th century um but yeah um but that that sort of that ambiguity that ambiguity i think is probably 
um, the most defining feature and kind of what makes it successful. Because I think if, you know, if at any point she, she heavily suggested, you know, maybe this is, you know, it's, it's one thing versus another, um, it wouldn't have, have had the same impact. Um, I, I think that, that kind of, uh, that discomfort that's sort of created in the mind of, as to what, what's going on, where, where is it is, is sort of like, what's, what kind of drives the story a little bit. You, you want to find out, you want to know, you know, it, it kind of plays with your, assumptions about certainty a little bit um and i think that's that's what makes it kind of um an interesting successful piece of you know the horror genre and specifically fiction definitely i'm i i agree because uh, I, I know the spoilers for the tv show for anyone that's not watched it um mm-hmm. in the in the tv show they find a, a skeleton a body um, yes, um, and that, and I understand that in the TV show because because it's a TV show, and, and you want, and it's a it's a very visual medium, and you want that, and right. you want that kind of scariness, don't you? You want them as mm-hmm. as soon as they start doing up the house and they start locking through walls, you're like, they're gonna find, <laughs> they're gonna find, they're gonna find, they're gonna find a body because <laughs> there's always there's already yeah. that terror terrifying episode where the little kid gets stuck in the basement and. Um, oh god yeah which is brilliant and then but but yeah you want yeah. you want that in a tv show but in, in a book you, you don't need you don't need as much stuff like that do you right it's a very different medium um and i think that that's also a really great point um as far as you know in, in the tv show you're right it's very visual and i think um when they were making it too they they sort of they try to preserve you know that kind of unease you feel in the book but by making all of these like hidden easter eggs so there are like ghosts in literally every every shot in that takes place within hill house there's something lurking in the background or there's like a hand Mm. or an eyeball or like some the profile of somebody's face or just even the background characters they they get some workmen um come in to work on the house and there's you know you're not quite sure if some of them are alive or dead or real or not and yes so i think that that disbelief that's preserved in the tv show was was done quite well it kind of it it does capture the spirit of what the original novel tried to do which was you know is this really happening is it not is it a haunting or is it just my imagination yes that's a good point i'm there's a scene where that's that scene with the workman and there's a guy there's a guy cleaning a clock um and i i remember watching that yes. and going why is that yeah. guy doing that and i but I, I, I didn't twig i didn't <laughs> i didn't twig that it was a ghost i just thought i was just confused and that's another yeah that, right that was, that was amazing that bit yeah they those those kind of anachronistic parts and i mean they had that whole episode called witness marks and i think that was done quite beautifully because you know you sort of you think of it as like oh, well, then only one person could have had access to this. And, oh, you know, maybe it is a ghost after all. It's, 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 it, does, it does quite well. The writing was very, very well done in that series. Yeah, definitely. And another thing I really love was the little girl who they think is an imaginary friend. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That, that, another, just don't, maybe don't listen to this episode until you've watched the, <laughs> until the Netflix series, but... But the, the flip of that was, uh, as yes. soon as I saw, as soon as they flipped that, I was, I, I just had a, a sense of dread about what was going to happen, and uh, it's brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yep. 
they did a great job. Do you, do you think? Do you think Shirley Jackson would have liked that show, that adaptation? I think I I don't know. I think she might have. I mean, certainly in her day, they had you know kind of smart TV shows starting to appear, like The Twilight yes. Zone, for example, um, and those kind of early. Uh, and some of those, some of those films too, you know, like in other writers like Ray Bradbury or Richard Matheson, um, who who started to kind of blend genres and um, do some writing for TV and film that was smart and that kind of preserved that suspension of disbelief that you get when you're kind of reading speculative fiction. Um, so I think she might have liked it. Um, I think it, you know it's not a strict adaptation, but it does kind of preserve elements of her original story as far as like that that unease that discomfort and that um that kind of confining elements of hill house and like what it does to people um so i think she might have liked it that's that's my that's my opinion about that <laughs> <laughs> no no i i agree yeah so um moving on to we have always lived in the castle yeah just to talk about a little bit about that book as well and and the and the the elements that we were talking about how they how they manifest in in that story yeah um yeah so in castle it's it's kind of a similar situation i mean you you have a house you have a very definite setting um but there's almost two settings in a way there's the small town um where the novel takes place and then there's the house itself and the house is is quite decrepit i mean it's not it's not alive as sort of like as hill house is but it's it's very it's almost like a character in and of itself i mean it um it crumbles it um gets set on fire it doesn't work properly it's sort of it's like that they're kind of last defense um against the um the the this very hostile community outside of them um so again you're already kind of set up with this sense of there's these this really confining constricted space and then you have this this event that took place sometime in the past and you're not quite sure who's responsible so um there's two sisters there's constance and mary cat blackwood uh, Mary Cat, short for Mary Catherine, um, and they live in the house or the castle with their uncle Julian, who's basically confined to his wheelchair, and he he's kind of semi lucid, but he's 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 quite old. Um, and there's all of these kind of references in the story that we're not quite sure of as to what happened to the Blackwood parents, and. Um, Basically, they were poisoned at dinner at some point, and we're we're sort of unsure as to you know whether Mary Catherine you know did it directly or if she did do it, and um, whether you know she did it on purpose or she just it was accidental. I mean, there, there are all sorts of questions that are kind of happening in the book and Constance sort of assumes the role of caretaker now that the parents are gone and where the action starts in the story is when, um, they have a, uh, a cousin of theirs, Charles, who wants to, um, get reunited with the family, perhaps, you know, get a hold of, um, their inheritance or something like that. And anyway, Charles enters the picture. 
Um, and already it's kind of a fight for, you know, who, who really has control of the household and what, um, you know, how the Blackwood sisters are going to survive, you know, now that there's this kind of outside force intruding on, in on their safety and security and whether Charles's intentions are pure. So that, that's kind of how that story is framed versus something like Hill House, where you have, you know, this paranormal investigative team, you know, going into the house and trying to figure out what, what's really going on. And it's, it's technically a study on sleep disorders, but they're, um, uh, they're sort of investigating the larger paranormal events happening. So in Castle, it's less directly paranormal and more about, you know, maybe how relationships can cause strange things to happen. So I, 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 I like Castle too, because, um, you know, even though it's, there's nothing it's it's not as directly paranormal. Mm-hmm. It, there's there's certain elements too that are somewhat fantastic that are happening, and you know, Mary Cat has this whole thing about like I'm a witch, you know, and I'm going to you know control my destiny through these this sort of magical thinking that she does, um, and so it's there's there's definitely parts of the genre that are still kind of preserved in Castle, but it's a little bit more, it's a little looser. Um, and it, it's sinister, but it's maybe not as directly like there's a ghost or there's a, there's a possibility this is haunted, but it's, it's kind of like family members haunting each other in a particular way. If that makes sense. Uh, it, yeah, that's a, that's a great way of describing it. it. It does seem like, um, big houses burning down seems to be, that's the way that the, the, the life of a, of some houses will, will always end. It, there are loads of stories of that, aren't there? Of, Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Practically, of course, that's probably bad wiring. But <laughs> but in an, but in another way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, there's always the, the, these kinds of stories. I I imagine. Do you think this was less sort of in, in terms of the characters? This was perhaps something that Shirley Jackson wrote from knowledge of people like that, where she lived, and places like that, rather than it, her being one of the characters in the story. Or do you think that she could have been one of those characters? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's both. Um, so I think it's it's very much influenced by the environment of North Bennington. Mm. Um, and she also wrote the lottery kind of based on her experiences in Bennington. Um, uh, and, but as far as like maybe her identification with the characters, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's a little bit of her in both Constance and Maricat. Um, because Constance is kind of the good, the, the good respectable sister who's like trying to keep everything together. And I'm sure, you know, Shirley Jackson wrote a lot about being a wife and a mother and being a homemaker. I mean, that was the basis of a lot of her, of her personal essays was talking about those experiences. So I think there is a little bit of Constance in her, but there's also a little bit of Mary Cat in her as well as that sort of, you know, kind of wry, um, mischievous like witchy self i'm sure she definitely had a little bit of that in her as well um but you know the two are kind of there they may be a little bit in sync but they're also maybe a little bit of tension between the two because it's kind of like you know the good sister bad sister trope that tends to get played out in a lot of these um kind of fantasy and horror books um and it 
you know, maybe the line is a little bit more ambiguous than we think. Like, you know, Constance maybe does some stuff that isn't necessarily in character with the the good the trope of the good sister and same with Mary Catherine you know maybe she isn't always the bad person people pigeonhole her to be I mean so that there's there's definitely those elements in Castle as well but I think I I would guess that Shirley Jackson maybe identifies a little bit with both of them right and 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 that era as well I suppose in that era the the era of big houses was coming to an end wasn't it and a more mm-hmm. sort of suburban living, I think, was it was the fifth. Well, yep. yeah, the fifties and sixties. It's it, it seems like a an era where that kind of that kind of family and that the, the where they live that 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 setting was was kind of coming to a close and right and, and fading into the past. There's there's a good reason too why um, kind of haunted houses, particularly in America uh, as well, were sort of they're always depicted as these like Victorian or Queen Anne, you know, these stately mansions. It was a lot of a lot of it had to do with kind of the bankruptcy um, in the early mm. 20th century, and people just couldn't afford to keep up those grand houses anymore. It's kind of like in the uh, in like 2009 with like the global financial crisis, you know, we don't see as many McMansions anymore because like the upkeep on these things is insane. And it takes like, you know, kind of a boom in order to um, maintain these houses. So you, you get a lot of these kind of abandoned properties in the um, early 20th century of America. And then this is kind of where this folklore and um, history kind of start to collide a little bit as far as like, yeah, you know, the reason you're seeing all these decrepit Victorian houses that look kind of spooky is because <laughs> no one can afford to live in them anymore. So <laughs> it's it's kind of a weird but interesting like historical thing like I'm always I'm always interested in cuz it it kind of it it almost life imitates art imitates life a little bit, you know. Yeah, I I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. And what what I, what I kind of wanted to um get in in this episode really is the relationship between between fiction and and reality it seems Mm -hmm. very it seems like that doesn't it like you you can tell a story a work of fiction and then the things in that in that work of fiction can can happen in in real life and then they those real life events can inspire a story and then yeah like like you say it goes it goes around and around and around um yeah, uh, I've got a I got a friend around who lives. Around, yeah. <laughs> he he lives in New England, and recently, him and him and his partner they went looking at some of the old big houses near where he lives. And one of them, it's a, it's a ruin now, but it was built. I think it was built in the. It was a sort of a summer retreat, and it was built by a, a fashion designer in the in the twenties. Mm-hmm. And she had like massive parties there and everything, and and it burnt down in the. 50s or mm-hmm. but yeah burnt down obviously um right. <laughs> um and now all that's left is is like pretty much just the bit of the staircase um and it's all overgrown and now in in forest and stuff and there's legends about that you you go out there you can hear parties and you can see the ghost of the lady that that lived there even though i don't think she died in the fire or anything but but that's it isn't it that's 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 what we're talking about yeah um, and Mm-hmm. you know if you hear that story you can go okay well um you, you can kind of pragmatically look at that and and say well this is you know it's, it's a it's a local legend but stories and fiction they do have they do have power they oh sure fictional characters 
do have agency, I think. It's um and I, I think that, you know, Shirley Jackson's storytelling is you know, it is is so good and and hits on these things so well. It's that's why she's so interesting to me. I think because it it feels almost like I would love to talk to Shirley Jackson about the about her ideas. I, it'd be great to pick her brain about this kind of stuff. Right. Absolutely. Cool. So um, I think my next question would be: What do you think Shirley Jackson's legacy is in terms of her writing? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if we think of like kind of the explosion of like horror literature that happened in kind of the fifties and sixties. Um, and just, you know, you get authors who grew up in that time, you know, coming out of that, like Stephen King is a great example. Um, and he was among some of the few, um, who kind of rev- was able to, you know, re- kind of revive her work because there was this long period of time where like nobody knew about Shirley Jackson. Um, and now I think she's kind of experiencing this huge renaissance. But um, Stephen King, he wrote in um, Dance Macabre um, about mm. Haunting of Hill House and how influential it was to kind of reintroducing the haunted house genre um, in the mid 60s because I think that was a time period too when like horror, as far as like, um, kind of the traditional gothic style horror was sort of waning a little bit um, and science fiction was being picked up a little bit more as kind of the cultural fear of that time. Um, right. So you have like less of those like old, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman movies where, you know, they're creeping around this old um, manor house in the middle of Europe and you have more of like, you know, the monster is down the street from you um, and every town USA or the alien invaders are coming to the suburbs or like something like that. (laughs) Um, And, but in Shirley Jackson's legacy, I think kind of um, it, it speaks to the older archetypes of sort of like, you know, the house and the ghost story as sort of these emblematic, you know, staples of the horror genre, but it does something a little bit different. It sort of almost unifies it with that modern approach of like um, the horror is psychological or it, it could be scientific or like you can kind of marry the paranormal and the scientific a little bit. And also maybe inspiring, you know, this kind of new wave of films, like, you know, we get more like found footage horror, like paranormal activity, for example. It's um, kind of maybe a great tie in with the legacy of like, here's a haunted house story, but it's using technology and like this, um, this kind of low budget quality to sort of to tell this story. And it seems very real. Um, But you wouldn't have that at any other point in history um, without, you know, this technology and video cameras being so accessible and this kind of knowledge of like paranormal or ghost hunting is like a thing that people do. So it, it, it kind of opened the door a little bit to sort of reinterpreting the haunted house story, I think in a myriad of ways. And, um, and, and even just inspiring other writers, like, you know, the, you could think of like Stephen King's The Shining is like another example of like taking the haunted house story and then twisting it and like thinking about the implications and like the speculativeness of like, what's, what's really going on here? Is it the environment influencing the parties involved or is it, you know, the parties involved having their own issues, you know, being exacerbated by the environment? 
So it's it, it it did her work did really open the door to like all of these various ways that um haunted house style horror could be reinterpreted in the 20, 20th and 21st century. Yeah, I mean I'd agree that and I think um hopefully a, a paranormal research itself too. I I I think the ideas that we've seen in uh, Hill House are mm-hmm. I think they're more prevalent now in 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 paranormal research and in, in, in yeah. relative to the idea of, of of what ghosts what ghosts are sure even like popularizing it like i mean you know maybe some odd years ago we wouldn't know about emf detectors or like uh ways of digitally recording voices or something like that i mean that that seems to be have entered you know kind of the public lexicon a little bit more um versus you know however long ago yeah i mean and also i the idea i i think something uh like um the well i suppose the history of a place is always going to be something that a paranormal researcher will investigate mm-hmm. a paranormal investigator sorry yeah but the idea of somewhere like um a hospital, particularly a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. I think that idea, <laughs> yeah, you could definitely link back to something like Hill House. I mean, um, as soon as you say abandoned mental hospital, your, your mind starts going, doesn't it? It you're 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 primed. You're primed for to be scared. I think, and, right? And I suppose that's part of it. And you can say like uh, rationally, you say, well, you know, you're. You're, you're you're expecting that this place was a hospital and it was a place full of unhappy people and you're going to pick up on that and it's going to kind of raise your your, your senses and you know if you I'm saying if you're you know investigating one of these places but I suppose at the same time right. you can say well um there's more to it isn't that if if places do have a sense of places can be entities almost that the yeah. the the house in Hill House is an entity mm-hmm. however however you want to describe it as an entity but i mean if 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 a house if a building gets used to having people inside it um it might want to keep people inside it might it it, it wants to be occupied in a, <laughs> a yeah. mental hospital well that's gonna it's gonna be you know it's overeating in a way <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, but no that's, that's interesting um do you, and so in terms of how Shirley Jackson is appreciate her, her her work is appreciated. Do you think that she gets the appreciation she deserves? I think now she's definitely getting the appreciation she deserves. Um, I think, I mean, anytime you open like you know a short story anthology, chances are, are like you know like the best book of short stories in like the twentieth century, for example. Um, the lottery is probably going to be in there. It's the most widely anthologized short story ever, I believe, um, and it's still highly controversial. I mean, like you know, the New Yorker republished it recently, and there's you know, it's talking about you know in its day, you know, surely we get like piles and piles of letters of um just people who either didn't understand the story but or who did understand the story and were really resistant to like what she was trying to say um but it's it still kind of has that flavor of controversy i mean you can publish something like it today and it would still you know garner a lot of attention that said 
I think her her work with more of like the speculative side um, as far as like Hill House and Castle, um, she she did. I think she did get a little bit of attention when those two books were published, but not quite to the extent that it does now where um, people are rediscovering her work. They're reading her. Um, she had uh, an essay, a posthumous essay collection of hers um, published uh, in 2015. Um, let's see. It was called, let me tell you uh, just a collection of her uh, various essays and some of her other writings. And I mean, she, she, I think she wrote for, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but she wrote for Good Housekeeping and she wrote a couple of essays sort of about um, her role of like as, as a wife and a mother too, um, in addition to uh, her work on Hill House. Um, so she she had kind of a range as far as like the types of stuff she was writing in her literature. But I mean probably you know out of stigmatization she didn't get as much press during her time because she was probably being pigeonholed as like you know oh she's she's a housewife she's a woman writer she's not you know um she shouldn't be taken as seriously as you know, like a, a serious writer because she writes about you know women's topics um, so I think now there's, we're seeing a resurgence of people who are interested in her work and her, like all of her work, um, versus maybe back in the day where it was sort of like, well, you know, she, she wrote for good housekeeping or she wrote for women's magazines. So maybe we should take her status as a, a literary icon with a grain of salt. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I've never read good housekeeping, but I would definitely read it if Shelley Jackson was writing for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I think that's really interesting, too. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of interested in sort of like, well, you know, I, I, re I learned recently, too, somebody like Edith Wharton or somebody wrote about interior design, like during her lifetime, just to like, you know, get her writing published and pay bills or something like that, or just as just as a way of staying current. And I'm like, you know, we, we should really stop this practice of like, uh, saying that you should only write one type of thing. If you're a writer, you know, you're a science fiction writer or you're a fiction writer. Uh, you, you, there, there's definitely been the case in history where people have written multiple things or have done multiple types of work and that it, you know, it should be accepted and taken all into um, account in terms of a person's legacy. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess it maybe it's a hangover from, I think in the, early days people would often authors would have a story in a in a magazine like, like Shirley Jackson did and it would mm -hmm. then become become yeah. a novel or, or or the writer would then write a novel I mean I know a lot of a lot of science fiction kind of started off in magazines like amazing science or weird tales and then there's authors... or playboy yeah, I or mean play... like yeah. talk about yeah weird publication to have science fiction stories but it was that's where a lot of people got their yeah, start yeah definitely and going back to the lottery, I mean, I think maybe, I mean, that, that, that story is probably always going to be popular because it's, it's quite, it's very near, isn't it? It's very near to being, it's, it's so, it's very true in a way, like what it's about. It's, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can, yeah. I think maybe one of the reasons that it's, you know, well, not controversial, but well, controversial in a way, I suppose, is that it's, it kind of points a, a light at what is deemed to be respectable, civilized society and, all it takes is um, mm -hmm. 
that idea is is pretty horrific, isn't it? At the, at the another spoiler at the end of the lottery, a, a woman gets stoned to death, and and that's that's horrible. We can't we we imagine, and that does go on in the world, but it doesn't go on uh, here in in the West. But it's you know what mm-hmm. what what might happen for that to change, and you know it might not be very much. Yeah. Don't need a whole lot of incentive to start this kind of thing, you know. I think, yeah, that's that's definitely something I think she was hinting at. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Um, if people want to find out more about you, how best do they do that? Oh, um, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, so it would be uh, Kelly M. McBride, K-E-L-L-Y-E-M-M-C-B-R-I-D-E. Um, no dashes, no spaces. Um, uh, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, and I also, I'm still writing for sublime horror. Um, I'm working on a new piece right now, um, on Richard Matheson and kind of his, uh, work, um, in terms of writing, I am legend and, um, some of the, his, his kind of writers group that included Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and a lot of others. So that's, that's going to be coming up soon. And I'm really looking forward to publishing that, but um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way of getting in touch with me. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Um, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe get you back on at some point then. To, to, I'd love to talk to you about those guys. <laughs> oh yeah. So they're in California sorcerers. That was, that was a totally cool group because they all like knew each other and they were collaborating and that's how Rod Sterling got involved. But anyway, that's, that's for another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, Richard Matheson and uh, Harlan Ellison, I think they both wrote for Star Trek as well. Yes, they did. I think only like one episode mm. Um, at least for Matheson, only wrote one episode. Um, but Gene Roddenberry wasn't as open, I think, as Sterling as far as, um, you know, kind of expanding the genre a little bit. But that, again, yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll put links to, to your Sublime Horror articles in the show notes for the, the episode. Fantastic. Thank you. No, you're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much, Rick. If you haven't read The Haunting of Hill House yet, I hope this episode has encouraged you to go out and find it. You won't be disappointed. I've been wanting to do an episode about Shirley Jackson ever since I read it myself, which wasn't too long ago, so it was great to finally make that happen and explore the topic further with a subject expert. Kelly's articles about The Haunting of Hill House and The Lottery on the Sublime Horror website are fantastic. There'll be links to them in the show notes. If you'd like to contact me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com And you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify and Stitcher. Likes, ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. Thank you for listening.